Well, welcome everybody. It is always a deep joy and privilege to be able to be part of the teaching team during a series. My name is Angie Lopez and I welcome you from Christ Journey Church. I serve as our worship director and I am very excited about what we get to talk about today. We are in week three of the series, Now What? And we titled this series, Now What? Because all of us hit a time or two or many times where we feel like we're stranded in the circumstances of our lives. In week one, we met Elijah and how he was stranded by burnout and depression. In week two, Pastor Bill talked about Moses and how he was stranded by mistakes. Well, today, week three, we look at someone who was stranded by no fault of their own, but stranded by loneliness and feeling powerless. Now, the story is not all bad, but it does kind of wind through a no man's land. And I say no man's land because today's Bible hero is none other than beauty queen Esther. And all the men in the room think, hey, now's a good time for me to open the ESPN up on my phone, right? Well, wait a second, men, I want to affirm you. In fact, I'll even make this confession. I have the ESPN app on my phone because number one, I'm a mom of boys. Number two, I love college football and it's season time, right? And number three, let's go Canes. I want to shout out to my alma mater, the University of Miami Hurricanes. We are going to have a great season this year. I can feel it. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Right? God says if we ask, we will receive. So I'm just doing my part. But we're not here today to talk about football. We're here to talk about Esther. And Esther doesn't only have a word for women. In fact, I asked my husband what he hears in the Esther story. And he said the fact that Esther made the Bible at all is pretty significant. That it's a woman who would do what she did. But the main thing he takes away from Esther is that there is greater value than just your own life. That life lived just for you is too lonely. Do you agree with my husband? That life lived just for you is lonely? I think that's a question all of us have to answer for ourselves. Do I live for me or do I live for something beyond me? And this is the question that Esther answers in her story. Now, a little background on the book of Esther. The book opens with these words, these events took place. So it's considered an historical count of things that actually happened. It's also a bit of a controversial book. Now you may already know this, but God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. There's no, God said this, God did that, God sent a prophet. There's no burning bush. There's no chariot of fire, none of that. But just because God is silent, that doesn't mean he's absent. And so I want you to look for two things as we go through the story today. I want you to listen for the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. The free will of man, the choices that men and women make in the story and the sovereignty of God his faithfulness to love his people and fulfill his purposes for them. So you ready? Let me introduce you to Esther. I view Esther as a bee to the third power. She is beautiful, she is brave, and she is brilliant. But we don't find that out right at the beginning of the story. When the book of Esther opens, 
we meet Xerxes the Great of Persia and his grand empire, very powerful. And Persian kings loved to show off what they had, loved to flaunt their stuff. I even read that um, some would put gemstones in their beards, right? <laughs> so they'd love to have these great parties too and show off everything they owned, including their queens. And at one party, King Xerxes summoned his queen, Vashti, in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. Now, there's nothing wrong with being lovely to look at. We all choose certain clothes or certain exercise plans that make us more lovely to look at. But uh, that's not the kind of lovely we're talking about here. In fact, historians say that a display like this one wouldn't have involved clothing at all. Maybe a crown. And Vashti refused to come. From the original text, the Hebrew word for refused here is ma'in, with resolved mind. So maybe she had simply had enough, enough of her husband summoning her and parading her in front of all these people so he could stroke that ego and feel that power. She says no. And the king is furious. So he calls his guys together, his attendants, and he asks them, what do we do to Vashti? She hasn't obeyed me. And they decide that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. Then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. Really? I promise you men, it is not because of your power that women respect you. It's because of your character. And King Xerxes, he disappoints. He and his boys make this decision while very, very drunk, I might add, and Vashti's out. But look how chapter two starts. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's attendants thought, wait, we can solve this. We know what to do. Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. So that's what they did. Now, during this time, many Jews were living in Persia. After the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC, Jews that had been exiled from Judah were deported to Babylon, which was then taken over by Persia. So many Jews were in Persia at this time. And a particular Jew named Mordecai was one of them. And Mordecai had a cousin, Esther, who was lovely in form and features. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. So Esther's just a Jewish orphan girl forced out of her hometown, living in a land she doesn't call home. But guess what just so happens? Esther is one of the young girls that is discovered and brought to the palace to go before the king. Now, ladies, we could be jealous, but we should be petrified. Esther is a young teenager and Xerxes is a middle-aged man. Hmm. 
Chapter two, verse 17. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women and she won his favor and approval. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And he threw another really big party. So now Esther is Persia's queen with a really big secret. Nobody knows she's Jewish. Her cousin Mordecai had told her to keep that quiet. Speaking of Mordecai, let's talk about him for a minute. He was hanging outside the palace one day and he overheard two of the king's guards plotting to kill the king. So Mordecai tells Esther, Esther tells the king, the guards are hanged. I want you to hold that thought and remember it for later, make a note. Right now, we're just gonna call it a just so happened Mordecai moment. Let me tell you about another one. A man named Haman rises to power in Persia, so much power that the officials kneel before him, but not Mordecai the Jew. Pick it up in chapter three, verse five. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Haman lies to the king about the behavior of the Jews that are scattered throughout the kingdom and how it's just not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So the king buys this story and he tells Haman to do with them as you please. Chapter three ends with the king giving an order to destroy, kill, and annihilate the Jews, young and old, men and women and little children on a single day. Hatred makes people do sick things, right? And now not only have the Jews been run out of their hometown, they're gonna die. And there's nothing they can do about it except for just one thing. The queen is Jewish, which just may explain why God has allowed Esther to be stranded as an orphan, as an alien, as a woman, and even as a beautiful queen. And Mordecai gets it. So he sends a message to Esther, who apparently even as queen didn't know any of this was going on until Mordecai tells her, and he asks her to go to the king and beg for mercy. Why would she do that? We know what happens to Xerxes queens, right? I'd probably send back the same message she did. She says, for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. Unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Esther may be the queen, but she's really a very young Jewish orphan girl and she is stranded, more alone and powerless than ever. Her husband hasn't asked to see her for a month and it's not because he didn't have company. Now I'm sure Mordecai understands where she's coming from. He knows she's in a really tough spot, but he also knows she's the only one in the spot. So he sends her another message. 
Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You can hear the father and Mordecai saying, so now what, Esther? Yes, you do get to choose, but come on. Look where things have ended up for us, for you. If it's supposed to be anybody, it's supposed to be you. Now there's a word for somebody today. If it's supposed to be anybody, it's supposed to be you. Some moments are made just for you. That's the sovereignty of God, just for you. And sometimes those moments are great and fun, but sometimes the moments are like Esther's and they're confusing and they're lonely and you feel powerless. But if you don't show up, nobody else is on the way. But that's your free will, right? So now what, Esther? She decides she's gonna do it. I will go to the king. And if I die, I die. Teenagers, Esther is one of you. Young wisdom, real fear, great courage. Don't lose your courage. Decide to live beyond yourself, even if you're standing by yourself. Don't lose your courage. Esther didn't because living for herself was too lonely. And it's like every part of her aligns and she agrees. If it's supposed to be anybody, it's me. It's me. Why else would I be trapped and crushed by the weight of this crown? And now is when we see Esther step into the power and the action she takes with those three Bs. First, it's her bravery. Can you, can you even imagine how long that walk to the king's door must have been down that hallway, knowing that everybody who does this dies, knowing how that man treats his queens, but hoping, just hoping that this time it's gonna be different. And it is. King Xerxes raises that scepter when he sees his queen, maybe because of B number two, her beauty, which she did nothing for, by the way. God created whatever King Xerxes saw. God made sure that Xerxes the Great would notice Esther the orphan, so God could get Esther the orphan in the palace for this very moment. You see that, don't you? And then she leans in with her brilliance. The king asks, Esther, what do you need? And Esther simply asks for the king to come to a party. He loves parties, right? Come to a party. Come to a party that I've prepared for Haman. That's right, Haman, the bad guy, planning to kill all the Jews. Remember, not even Haman knows she's a Jew. And at the party, the king asked her again, Esther, what is it? My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me 
with favor. And if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, is she going to do it? Let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Is she savvy or what? She knows the king loves parties. She knows how to make him feel important. She knows his love language. Okay, now what happens next, everybody, is pretty soap opera. Ready? Haman, the bad guy, goes home and brags about how he's the only person that Queen Esther has invited to another party with the king. But he can't really enjoy it because he can't shake his hatred for Mordecai the Jew. He wants Mordecai's head and he wants it now. So he orders a rush job for gallows to be built that night to hang Mordecai. During this same night, it just so happened the king can't sleep. And he comes across the record of how Mordecai exposed the plot to kill the king. Remember I told you about that earlier? And he realizes Mordecai's never been properly honored for saving his life. So check this out. Haman comes to tell the king about the plans to hang Mordecai. But before he can even get the words out, the king asks Haman, hey, what should I do for the man I want to honor? And Haman, thinking the king was talking about himself, gives the king a laundry list of ideas of how to honor such a worthy man. Go at once, the king commands Haman. Do just as you have suggested. For Mordecai, the Jew. What? Haman ends up parading Mordecai through town in the king's robe, on the king's horse, shouting, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Just such sweet justice. But Haman is humiliated and angry and it's about to get worse. He's got a party to go to. A party that our beautiful brave and brilliant Esther has designed as her now or never moment to try and save her people. And the moment comes and Esther knows it's her time. And I read this part and I feel myself, I feel the adrenaline rush. You know, that combination of, of nausea and cold sweats and excitement you get because your purpose meets your fear. Now or never moments are where your purpose meets your fear. Think about it. The king asks her again, Queen Esther, what is your request? And here she goes. Look what she does with her stranded. Grant me my life. That's what she says. That was brilliant. Now she has his attention like, Who's after my queen? Who's after my queen? Grant me my life and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. I imagine the room going silent. And maybe Esther bows her head and thinks, now what? What's he going to do? What's he gonna say? And here's what he says. Who would dare to do such a thing? And it's game over for Haman. God's been very busy in the book of Esther. Long story short, 
Haman ends up on the very gallows he had built for Mordecai the night before. Mordecai ends up second in command to the king and the king signs a new law giving the Jewish people rights, rights as citizens, rights to protect themselves, to protect their women, to protect their children, all because a Jewish orphan girl just so happened to become the queen of Persia and then decided that she would do what no one else could do when her moment came. Stranded doesn't only happen to the poor, old, or ugly. Sometimes it's the most beautiful, the most wealthy, that feel the most empty and most lonely. The story of Esther tells us that God loves the stranded, rich or poor, old or young, slave or free. And he will declare his sovereignty over any situation caused by the free will of man. God will declare his sovereignty over any situation caused by the free will of man. Is that too much to imagine? That God could declare his sovereignty over your situation? I mean, really, what are you and I, the modern man and woman, supposed to get from this ancient story? Well, I've got three ideas for you. Authority, action, and accountability. Let's talk about authority. The truth is God is sovereign which means he has total authority. And that's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Because do you know anybody else who should have that job? Do you think it's you who should have sovereign authority over heaven and earth, knowing you the way you know you? It's not me. I mean, I act like it sometimes, but I know it's not me. You know, I remember a few years ago, I was, I was hurt very hurt by some people I really trusted. And um, there was misrepresentation and just kind of an ick situation. And I felt powerless to change it. But during that time, um, I came across this verse and it really freed me. The most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And he sets over them anyone he wishes. Which means in God's sovereign authority, he chooses, he chooses to share it with people sometimes, intentionally, but it's all his. So God wasn't worried about Xerxes and Haman and their decisions against the people. In his sovereignty, he worked around them. It was just impossible for God to break his promise to be good and faithful to his people. And it's with that authority that he keeps his promises to us too. He isn't worried about your situation or mine, and we shouldn't be either. I dream of a world where everybody is freed by the truth, the truth that even when the authority doesn't rest with me, it rests with God Almighty, like rests with the Almighty. I can fully rest in God's sovereign authority. So can you, you can rest in God's sovereign authority, which takes us into action. In the Esther story, God made sure that a lot of stuff just so happened to create the moment where Esther would be invited to take action. 
He shared his authority with her and she chose to do something with it. See, God has authority, but he lets us hold it sometimes. And some moments are made just for you. Will you take action? Will you step into your now or never moment? Because if it's supposed to be anybody, it's you, supposed to be you. Will it be scary? Probably. There's a reason why do not be afraid is the most repeated command in the Bible. But now or never moments are where your purpose meets your fear. Purpose meets fear. And I don't know, I don't know what your moment is gonna be or what your moments are, but what if it really is about saving somebody or saving something like your child or your friendship, your job, your marriage, maybe even saving yourself. I dream of a world where everyone experiences moments when purpose meets fear and then decides that love beyond self will own that moment anyway. That's courageous action. I can take courageous action under God's authority. You can take courageous action under God's authority. You know, I heard someone say recently that fear is a choice, but so is faith. And as Christ followers, we are accountable for our faith. If God in his sovereignty lets you hold his authority, you will be held accountable for the action of faith you do or don't decide to take. James says, remember that knowing what is right to do and then not doing it is sin. So let me talk to the believers for just a second. If you say you love Jesus, give your life to Jesus, wanna follow Jesus, but then you don't obey Jesus. Why call yourself a Christian? It all comes down to loving God and loving people. All people, which takes courage. Courage to love beyond ourselves. It challenges us to get uncomfortable and to risk like Esther did. Well, maybe not exactly like Esther did, but it will challenge you. I do dream of a world where we hold ourselves accountable for the action God invites us to take when he hands us his authority. I am accountable for taking courageous action under God's authority. You are accountable for taking courageous action under God's authority. Now, maybe you have a problem with the things I've just said because you have a problem with God having sovereign authority. I get that. Maybe you even wanna believe it's true, but you can't reconcile your hope with what you see in the world around you. You know, for most of my life, I viewed the Esther story as kind of a Disney princess movie where the poor little young orphan girl ends up living her happily ever after. Because when I heard this story as a child, it was appropriate that some of the content that a child's mind and emotions um, are not capable of, of dealing with and processing, it was appropriate that those things would be left out. Well, what am I talking about? Like genocide, the power dynamics, 
the trafficking and female objectification, slavery, bullying, abuse, all of that is in this story. And while God allowed the people in this story to be saved, we know that that's not how all stories end. Not in our history and not in our present. I don't know why sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no. Because I don't have sovereign authority. That's not our job. Our job is free will. And many times somebody's free will gets on us and that leaves us feeling stranded. And maybe you are there right now. Maybe you would even say, you know what? Yeah, God's pretty uh, anonymous. He's absent in my life. I think Esther might want to talk to you. And I think she'd say something like this. You know, my parents died before I even knew them. Then I was forced to leave my country. Then I was taken and abused by the system. But because of all of that, I alone was exactly where I needed to be when my people needed me to be there to save them from the enemy and that was worth it. You know, Jesus understands Esther and he understands you because he knows stranded. He left his father in heaven to come live as a foreigner on this earth. He lived a perfect life, but even still, he was taken and abused by the system. But because of that, he alone was in the position to save us from the enemy, to save you from the enemy and from the, from the temptations of your own free will. Your sentence was death, but instead he chose to lay down his life so you wouldn't have to. And you are worth it. Not only are we saved by the Father's grace, but we are given rights as citizens of the Father's kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has a purpose for the position you're in. Even if you're stranded, look for it. Ask him what it is. Don't live life just for you. That's called loneliness. God wants to fill you. He wants to free you. And then he wants to use you to free some other people. Think about your own life. Think about your own relationships. Where are you afraid? Because that may be the very place where your purpose is. Your now or never moment. Church, let's hold ourselves accountable to take action when God lets us hold his authority. Let's do that as a church, but let's do it also as individuals. Let's take action when God lets us hold his authority because just maybe 
If it's supposed to be anybody, it's supposed to be you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we know that you do understand Esther. Esther saved a nation, you saved the world. You made the whole world sons and daughters of the most high God, our father. And Lord, today for anybody who wants to step into that identity, to say yes to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I wanna offer this prayer. Lord Jesus, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that I'm not gonna get everything in this life right, but you did. And you offered a perfect sacrifice for my sins, one I could never offer for myself. And I wanna say yes to you today. I wanna say yes to entering a friendship, a relationship with you. Come into my life, be my savior, be my God, be my Lord, be my salvation. And then God, there's, there are those of us who perhaps have already said that prayer, but we need you to save us from something else. We're stranded maybe confused, maybe stuck in a power play, maybe mistreated, maybe abused. We don't know what to do. So we'll just ask the question, God, tell us what to do. Speak to our hearts, give us clarity of mind. Give us the courage when we realize that our purpose is meeting our fear to take the action you invite us to take. And God, then we will expect to see ourselves change, to see our families change, to see our church change, to see our world change, because we are taking your authority and taking action into this world, holding ourselves accountable for the good work you wanna do through each of us. In the name of Jesus, I say this prayer, amen. Now at the Kendall campus, we're gonna respond a little bit differently today. The team's getting ready to start a song but I've asked them not only to sing a song to you or sing a song with you, but I've asked them to sing these lyrics over you. And I want you to really process what God may be wanting you to experience today. And I want you to receive the blessing that they give as they sing over you. And as we pray these prayers together that God would move us and take us to our next step. God bless you. <laughs>